who's excited to be here? Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. On behalf of the Dwelling Place Church, we love you, and we're here. And in this spirit, we're going to go right into God's word, and I'm going to share what God has placed in my heart. If you could just stay with me for a little bit. Um, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 17 to 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. And so I want to start out by saying, who is ready for a new year? <laughs> who feels more than ready? I need a new year. Anyone? Anyone needs a new year? Not just wants one, but needs one. I need a new year. Um, in many ways, that might mean a little bit more to others when they reflect on this past year. And I believe in some way we all do. We all want one. And yes, we absolutely do need one. And so it's this time of the year where we start thinking about new. We start thinking about new. And I believe God has graced us with a calendar, that God uses a calendar to prompt us. It's not that anything magical happens because we have a calendar and we have a time. Nothing magical happens, so to say. I want you all to know, and I shared this message with uh, our church volunteers. Uh, we can't be foolish in thinking that because the year has changed that magically everything of the past year uh, has vanished. It would really be nice if because the calendar year changed that the virus disappeared. Uh, uh, it would be really nice that because the calendar year changed that all the political strife that we see disappeared with the new year. And it would be even more awesome that if all the issues that I was really facing inwardly, relationally, any traumas, anything that I was in the middle of, maybe financially for some people, and all that it affects, traumatizes us sometimes, it would really be awesome that if when that year changed, that all of that vanished too. Because if all those things happen, how great will we, <laughs> how great will we feel right now? That it could all change because the calendar year changed. Now, while that may not be the reality, and may that not be how the world works, it does not mean that something else can't be new, okay? Does it mean that something can't change? And as much as we would like for everything surrounding us to change, and it can't, it doesn't mean that there's not the possibility for something to change. And so I want to say that if anything can change that will affect those things, it's not those things first. It's right here. And so when we think of new, we usually think of new things. But the heart of our Bible does not focus on new 
things first. The heart of the Bible focuses on a new creation first. A new humanity first. A new me first. And that is a beautiful story that is in our Bible. And so leading up to this year, I had a lot of time of reflection. And I asked myself this question, what does it mean when I say that I'm a Christian? And more than what do I mean when I say I'm a Christian to you or to someone, more than what does that mean when I say it to you, what does it mean when I say that to myself? What does it mean when I say and I have told myself that I am a Christian? I think that's a good conversation. I think it's a good question that right now us as a church family, we are a church family. We call ourselves a church because we are a community of more than one person that comes together not based on our skin color, not based upon our financial situations being the same. We don't come together because uh, we share the same styles of things. That's not why we surround ourselves. We surround ourselves around this thing that we believe that Jesus is our risen Savior. And so when we come together, we are surrounding ourselves around a faith in Jesus. And so we call ourselves Christians. I'm a Christian. But we're not a Christians because we don't say Christians because we made that up. The first Christ followers were called Christians. And so it's not a term that we make up, but what does it mean then? What did it mean for them to be called Christians? What did it mean for them in the time of persecution and turmoil and political strife? And there was sickness and there was disease at their time. And there were real life happening for all those people. What did it mean for them to call themselves Christians? And so now 2,000 plus years later, as we enter into this new year, God has placed on my heart that I need to really look I have to really think about when I call myself a Christian. And so over the next several weeks, as we start this year, we're going to be speaking about what does it mean? What is the Bible? We're going to try to, together, together, we're going to try to look and understand what does it mean to be a Christian? Not what does it mean to go to church, because we do that already. We're actually here routines that we have and we all say we go to church my desire is that we would together learn what does it mean to be a Christian amen so that's our theme Christian any Christians in the house <laughs> I mean we'll tell people we go to church before we tell them and say we're a Christian say I go, yeah I go to church Right? It's easier to say I go to church than to say I'm a Christian because <laughs> all kinds of people go to church. Uh, and so what does it mean to be a Christian? And that's what we're going to try to discover. And today we're going to start 
for some of us might be, this is just a little like too basic, right? Like we should know this, some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. You'll probably be like, pastor, I learned that in Christian 101. Um, and so we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want you to think about this. 2 Corinthians means what? That there was a what Corinthians? First. And we know that these are epistles, so these are letters. So that means that there was, this is a second letter. That means there was a first letter. As a matter of fact, we know historically that Paul actually wrote an earlier letter. And there are at least, there were three letters written to the Corinthians, one of which we don't have. So there's not just one, not just two, not just, there's three letters that all came after each other. And what's also great to know is that Paul actually established a church in Corinth. He went there witness, and they became Christians. And Paul was with them for a year and a half. A year and a half he was with them, and he was teaching them. He, he, he spoke the message of Jesus, which we call the gospel. They believed in that message, and then they started a journey of faith under his teaching. He was there a year and a half with them. I mean, going through it with these people, teaching them what it meant to be a Christian. And so they learned that in Christian 101. A year and a half learning about what it means to be a Christian. But by the time we get to the letters, we realized that they struggled with understanding what it meant to be a Christian. They got together for church, but they missed what it meant to be a Christian. Is it possible that we who are Christians can actually embrace the reality of the church before we actually understand the meaning of being Christian? And so they were a church, but they weren't much Christian. <laughs> they had a church. They had a routine. They did it. They did it. They were there all the time. And so if you read Paul's letters, you will see that he's actually addressing the problems in their church. And the reason why they have problems in their church is because they don't understand what it means to be Christian. But I thought they learned that in Christian 101. They did. They're not struggling because they didn't learn it. This is the Apostle Paul. They're learning because it's such, it's, it's, it is hard, not just to really embrace what it means to be a Christian, but it's hard to live out what it means to be a Christian. And so you can live out church a whole lot better than you can live out Christian. And many times in my life, I was, live, I was doing church good, doing Christian bad. Anyone ever did church good, Christian bad? It's the reality. Now, Jesus did not give his life. The gospel message doesn't exist for us to do church first. It's to be Christian. And if we be Christian, then it gives life to church. If we miss being Christian, eventually we feel dead, even in church. And this is why sometimes being in church isn't enough. This is why coming to church, you go in one way and you leave the same. This is why we could be in church for years or have a good routine of church and still feel like we're dying inside. And so 
I want for us to get out in the open that Jesus did not die for us to have good church. He died so that we could be Christian. And being Christian will feed life into the church. Right? So now look at this. 2 Corinthians, which could be a 3 Corinthians, really. Don't say I'm blasphemous, okay? I'm not lying to you. And after a year and a half and after all these letters, he's going to say something to them that seems really basic. They're going to seem like this is, we, we're past this. No, they weren't. And he's, it's almost, have you ever, now, if, who here has been in a child? You're either a child or you've been a child. And have you ever been in a conversation with maybe your parent? You, you could probably reflect on a conversation with your parent um, or a guardian or your grandparents, whoever raised you. And, and maybe you were having a difficulties of being a good child. And, and so they're having the tough conversation with you. Anyone ever been there? Tough conversation where your parents got you like in the corner, right? And, and you're here and you're just like, blah, 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 blah. I know this right, blah, 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 blah. And they're telling you this, telling you that. Have you ever had that, that wait, have you ever noticed that awkward pause where, where that person talking to you is like, hold up. I, I'm telling you all these things, but kind of just pauses in the middle of the conversation and tries to grab your attention and says, I want you to know I'm telling you this because you're my son, because you're my daughter. Or they say, I'm telling you this because I'm your father. I'm telling you this because I'm your mother. Right? It's like they were saying all this stuff, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden this pause is like, I need you to know in this conversation who you are to me and who I am to you. And then they kind of keep going like blah, 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 blah. But they want you to know that all that blah, 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 blah is built on a premise of who you are and who they are. And so when we're reading this, and you're, you're kind of like, I know that. I know I'm your son. I know that your daughter gets to the point. In this letter, Paul is saying a lot of stuff that they might be like, blah, 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 blah. And then he pauses. He says, hold up. I want you to know who you are. Not, not to me first, but to Jesus, our Messiah. And so I want you to see that. like, Because it seems really fun, fundamental. It seems like this is too simplistic. Why would he pause? But it's important. It's just like a parent when they're trying to tell you to save your life. And then they pause you to let you know, you are my child. So you could put everything else that they're saying in context. And this is what Paul does here. Ready? Super fundamental, it should seem. But he knows that there's something happening and they need to connect again. They need to connect on this foundation. Maybe there's a lot of stuff going on in our lives right now that have us like, oh, my God, this, oh, my God, that, God, this, God, that. I wonder what verse here, I wonder what verse there. I need to do this, I need to do that. And maybe God wants to say, stop. Don't get lost in all of that. Let me give you this right now. And look what Paul says. He goes, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Is there anyone today, 2,000 years later, that is in Christ? How many Christians in the house? I know you, have, you went, yeah, woo, woo. <laughs> I wonder if God right now to us and to you wants to say 
these same words and remind you, if you're in Christ, if you're in him, you are a new creation. I know there's a lot of new things that we need this year, but let's start with this first. Before the new this and the new that, you are a new creation. You are a new creation. You're a new creation. After last year, right now, you are a new creation. I know something happened yesterday, but right now you are a new creation. In Christ, we are a new creation. I know there's trauma, but you're a new creation. I know you didn't get it, but you're a new creation. Would you just start to confess that over your life? I am a new creation in Christ. But wait a minute, we've been going to church for 10 years. I know this already passed, but sometimes God has to just pause us and say, in me, you're a new creation. He goes, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has, look at this, has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In the next verses, you're going to see the, a variation of this word reconcile. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. What does it mean to reconcile? Basic definition would be to restore relations to good standing, right? It's, 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 it's a relational term that has to do in being in good standing and being in peace and being in friendship, right? That's what, to reconcile, it's to bring things together, but in good standing. Two people can walk together, but if they're not in agreement, that's not reconciliation. That's just walking together. Real reconciliation is that the two people that are walking together are in harmony, and, 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 and they're consistent with one another in thought and in action. And so this verse is saying that we have been reconciled, reconciled to God through who? Through Jesus. In other words, our good standing with God has come through the person of Jesus. That is how we get into good standing with God. It's through Jesus Christ. God has done this through his son, Jesus. In other words, you have peace with God, or you can have peace with God, not because of what you can do, but because of what Christ has done. Our peace, our harmony, our unity, our fellowship with God comes through Jesus Christ. It's what Jesus has done that has reconciled us back to the Father. Reconciliation could be an accounting term. Makes me cringe, accounting. But it's an accounting term. Those who know accounting, right? Reconcile. What do you want to do by the end of the year? We would say you want to reconcile those books. You want to make sure that there's reconciliation. In other words, I had to learn this about our account. There's a record of our account that has to be consistent with the actual account. And so you got to make sure that there's a consistency there. That they're saying the same thing. Two accounts, one is a record of the account, the other is the actual account, and those things need to be consistent with one another. This can't say this, and this say something else. You can't, you can't end the year like that. You need to reconcile, you gotta bring those things into good standing and harmony and in relationship. It's to bring two things in agreement. 
And so now from an accounting perspective, when it says that God has reconciled us to Jesus, it means that we are brought into good standing. Our account is going to match God's account, not based on us, but based upon Jesus who did the reconciling. Jesus is a good accountant. Jesus is working the book, so to say. And he did the work to make sure that he brought us to the same good standing of the Father. That's good. That's good. You didn't reconcile yourself. God, through Jesus, did the reconciling. And he brought them into good relations. Verse 19 says, that is that God, look at this, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them. In other words, not charging or holding their trespasses, uh, meaning their offenses or some could say sins. He didn't count their trespasses against them. And so if you really look at humanity and God, there's a big difference there, wouldn't you say? Where's humanity really standing? If you line him up with God, where do you really stand if we line you up with God? Where do I stand if I line? It's kind of like this. That's not reconciliation. And so through Jesus, he did not count man's trespasses against him. And what he actually did through Christ, this starts to happen. He starts to bring a consistency. Because a man's offenses, where is he? He's here. Because of God's righteousness and holiness and his beauty and who he is, he's here. And so the mission for God is how do I reconcile man? How do I come back into good standing with my son and with my daughter? That happened through Christ. That happened through Christ. You're in good standing with God because of the reconciliation that he did through Jesus. This is, this is a 101, right? It's 101. It's stuff I know, and yeah, 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 let's move on with the other stuff. But Paul's pausing them. After a year and a half of teaching them, and after three letters, he says, let's pause and let's just go here for a second. I think if we get this, it's going to, all, everything else that I'm telling you is going to make sense, but you got to understand this. In Christ, you have been reconciled to the Father. And has not committed to us, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we have this. We have this word. You, you can wake up in this. I have reconciliation through Christ Jesus. Now look, verse 20. Paul says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore or we plead you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. So after he tells them that they're new, and after he tells them that God is not counting their sins against them, he's telling the Corinthians, now be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. God has done the work. Re re receive the work that God has done. Receive my reconciliation. He says, I've given you this word. The word reconciliation should be a, a word that we hold on to. We hold on to other, so many other words. This year, my year is abundance. This year, my year is this. Okay, get other words. But here, it, the Bible says your word is reconciliation. The word is that you have been made right. And in good standing with God our Father because of Christ Jesus. And don't ever forget that word. Don't you ever forget it. What happens when you feel down here? You got to find that word. 
What happens when you fall out of good standing with God? What, what, what happens when you have a fallen away? What happens when you commit an offense? What happens when you feel you lost yourself? What do you do? Many of us, oh, that's it. I'm, I'm out. I made a mistake. I'm done. I knew I couldn't do this. I don't feel right. And then what do we do? We go further away. We start going deeper and we start going lower and we start going further. In those moments, that's when you have to remember the word reconciliation. Bring to mind that, oh, well, you know what? That's it. I know God must be done with me. My world is a wreck. God must be done. Because you don't know what decision to make, then God must be done. He has given us this word, reconciliation. It's how our faith even begins. It's how we're able to call ourselves Christian through reconciliation. So he says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, meaning representatives, as though God were pleading through us. We now plead with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. And look at verse 21. For he, how did this happen? Like, how did this happen? How did God who is up here and humanity is who down here? How does that reconciliation happen? It's not by the snap of God's finger either. God didn't just say, oh, new year, and then reconciliation. Something has to happen for this to take. And that is going to be what we're going to try to unravel today. How does that reconciliation happen? How do I get into right standing with God? How do I get to be a Christian? He goes, for he made him, right? So where's God? Here. Where's humanity? Here. Look at this. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin. This is the process of how reconciliation is going to happen. Look what's happening. Look where God is going. Look what God is doing. Look what God is becoming. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Look, that we might become the righteousness of God. And now look what's happening. So where's God here? Where, where are we here? He made him who knew no sin to be sin. And so God, through Jesus, comes to us, comes down to us, comes where we are at, and by him coming to where we're at, he is able to bring us elevation that we might become the righteousness of him. And so Christ comes down to reconcile us back to the Father. This is a beautiful picture. This is one that you need to understand in your faith. This is how your faith begins, and much of our journey is, is, is going to be this battle of reconciliation. You have to remember th that it's through Christ that we're reconciled to God. Amen? And so a title for today is this. A new humanity, life by death. A new humanity. What does it mean to be a Christian? Here it is. Here's the answer. What does it mean? A new humanity. When you say, I'm a Christian, you need to embrace a new humanity. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be in Christ. And what does that mean? A new creation. So to be a Christian is to have a new humanity. This is what we got to remember, and this is what we got to bring. Through the word of reconciliation, what does this mean? When, yes, I said yes to Jesus 10 years ago, but my life has done all of this, sometimes you need to pause and say, I am a new creation in Christ. 
That means I have a new humanity. And this was what Paul was trying to get to the Corinthians. You guys are going buck wild right about now. I need to remind you that you are a Christian. You have a new humanity. Paul, stop. I know you got problems and you got prayers and you want to, you know, and you guys got, you know, your church is moving and all this. But can you just pause for a minute and just let's start on this foundation that you've been reconciled to God and you have a new humanity and you are a Christian. You're in Christ. What if we start the year on this? What if you just paused all your prayers? What if we just paused all our wants? What if we just pause everything that God got to fix and he got to fix it right now? What if we start the new year with this? I am a Christian. There's a new humanity that comes or supposed to come. And now I want to say this. For everyone who's just telling yourself, this is just how I am, that is a lie. It might be who you were, but as a Christian, God has given you a new humanity. And if you say, well, you know, the past three years something happened to me and now this is who I am. I want you to trust I want you to get that word reconciliation. I want you to see the picture of what God is going, to, what God has done and is doing, and tell yourself, "I'm a new creation." You got, you got to, you got to believe that I'm a new creation. I don't have to be that. Because remember, Christ didn't give His life so you could get church. Look, Christ gave His life so you can have a new life. That is why it's life by death. We are getting life because of his death. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So to be a Christian is to get a new humanity and it's to experience a new life. For everyone here. You might not, we might not be able to change everything that happened last year, and some of that stuff might carry over. You still got a mask on. You still don't want no one within two feet of your space. You still don't want no one breathing on you, and you still don't want everyone holding your baby. That has just crossed over. But it doesn't mean that you can't have new life right now. It doesn't mean that God has, has stopped giving life. It doesn't mean that you're, you're stuck in whatever it is that you've been experiencing. Many of us are breathing, but we, we feel death. Anyone knows that feeling? Like to be alive but feel death inside? Having conversations, going to work, you know, doing everything that you need to do, getting groceries, making breakfast, having conversations, but inside there's death. Christ died so that you can have life. Not just so that you can have church because you can go to church and do the same thing. You could greet your brother or sister and, and say, and when they ask you how you're doing, blessed and highly favored and still feel like death inside. You can go and sing a song and, and escape the reality of the death that you really feel. We can come here, lift up our hands, praise the Lord, put oil on our head, go back, and you're miserable. And no one knows it, but this is, the li- this is not the life you're living. That's the death that you're living. And Christ died for so much more He died so much more for a superficial routine. And as I thought about being a Christian, I'm like, oh, my God, do I have life? When I tell people I'm a Christian and when I tell myself I'm a Christian, wait a minute, what do I really feel? 
Because for me to say I'm a Christian but feel death inside, then I have to ask myself, I might say I'm a Christian, but am I really a Christian? Because to be a real Christian is to have a new humanity and it is to have life. So if there's anyone in here that is feeling death, today I tell you that God has a word of reconciliation for you. He wants you to be a Christian. He wants you to experience what that is, and that is a new life. He wants you to breathe. He wants you to feel alive again. He wants you to have peace of mind. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to have confidence. Being a Christian is about having life, and if you don't feel that you have life right now, then reconciliation brings us there. I don't want to keep going to church and not feeling life. Now, this is not to say that there's no purpose of church. But remember, church only means something if life is coming through being Christian. Christian is about having a new humanity. It's about having life. It's that life that's going to feed going to church. But if there is no life, you can have church. And then what church becomes for most of us is just another escape. Some drink alcohol. Some do other things. Some, you know, play video games for 40 hours. I don't know. We all do different things to escape what? The real life. And many of us just transfer that same habit right over to church. This is why no one wants to stay home on New Year's. We should be in the church because for them it's just another escape from what's really going on at home. That's crazy. And so at our church, we try to switch that up. One year we might be in the church, next year we might be home. Feel like, oh, I gotta be home. <laughs> Do you realize what we're confessing? I gotta be home with her. Yeah, your wife. I gotta be home with the kids. Your children. <laughs> how, how bad is it? Well, think about it. What death are you really feeling there that you have to escape it by coming here? Because the only way that there is real life here is if there's real life over there. And so sometimes when we say, hey, we're not going to church, stay home, uh, it's a reality of what's really taking place. And so God, Jesus, died for us so that we could have life. And so the question is, do you have that? Do you feel that? And that's the journey that we're going to be on for all these weeks. And so there's a difference between, and this is what I've been thinking about, there's a difference between Christianity and churchianity. <laughs> and many of us have churchianity and not Christianity. What's churchianity? Well, church in your entity is religion by routine. You go to church long enough, it becomes a routine. If there's no life in you, then you got churchianity. You know when to go. You know what time it starts. And, 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 and churchianity produces Christianese. It does, because you come here long enough, then you, then you start learning how, you, how to talk. How you doing, sister? You don't call anyone else sister. Not even your sister, you call sister. But then you get here, how you doing, brother? How you doing, sister? How you doing, brethren? Right? We, we just learn. We just learn what to say. 
And, and if you put yourself in a certain environment long enough, you start to respond to that environment how everyone else responds in that environment. You didn't know to stand up for worship before. No, they stand, so I stand. Right? They say lift up your hands every 10 minutes, then you lift up your hands. There's nothing wrong with lifting up your hands. But I want you to see that if you be in a certain environment long enough, you learn that environment. And so if we say sit when you need to sit, stand up when you need to stand up, and we learned, we hear people saying the same words, and then now they ask us to say something, and we just start re regurgitating the words. That's Christianese. And more than church routine and more than Christianese, we need a, none of that means anything if there's really no life in you being a Christian. And so my fear is that over the years, I got churchianity and I know Christianese well. I know what to say when I get a microphone. I know what to say when I engage with you. I know what I need to say when I talk to a first-time guest. It's like a, a script just comes over all of us, and then we act a certain way. We speak a certain way, and, and, and the proof of this is when we get in our car, we're not that person anymore. That, that, that's not Christian. That's churchianity. And, I, and, I, and, and I've been in church a long time, and I've seen people be one way here, and then they walk out, you're like, why do you even go? Why do we even go? Or we come in here and we feel something, and then we walk out there and we don't feel something. It's like, wait a minute, do I have Christianity or do I have churchianity? And Christ did not die for churchianity. He did not die for religion by routine. He died for Christianity, which is life by faith. So Christianity is all about experiencing life. So here's a real question. How many of you really feel that? How many of you really feel life right now? How many of us really feel life? Because the goal of, your, of the gospel and the goal of Jesus coming to you was so that you can have life. That's it. In John chapter 10, Jesus was confronted because they did not like how he was interacting with their people. The churchianity people, the people who spoke Christianese, the leaders at that time, the church officials like Pharisees and all these people who were really good at the church scene. They knew all the routines. They knew, the, they knew what to say to the people. Jesus came in, excuse me, and he started having interactions with the church people, with the congregation, and then he started to bring life to them. He started praying for them, and they were healed. He started casting out diseases. He started having interactions with them that he left them with words of life. And something different was happening in how Jesus, uh, uh, something happened different when they encountered Jesus than when they encountered the church. And so Jesus is doing this, and then the church leaders confront him. And in John chapter 10, Jesus gets really bold. He gets really bold, and he says it kind of clear in John chapter 10. But in him getting bold and him revealing what he's doing to those people, and uh, he, he, he gets bold and he explains what he's doing. He says this in John chapter 10, verse 9. He says, I am the door. And, and can you imagine the, 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 the churchianity people? They're like, no, the door's right there. In their minds, this is the door to the temple. This is the door to our synagogues. This, this is where you enter. And Jesus said, no, churchianity, I am the door. People were going through the door of churchianity and not getting anything. But then they start having an encounter with Jesus, and all of a sudden, they start experiencing. You know what they start experiencing? Life. And there's a difference now when they go into the temple and when they have a conversation with Jesus. And so one has churchianity, religion by routine, but when they're with Jesus, they're experiencing life as they put their faith in him. 
And there's a huge difference for those people. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That's a churchy word, too, in itself, saved. What does he mean by saved? He goes, and I will go, and, and we'll go in, and we'll go in and out and find pasture. He says, I'm the door, and if you come and you enter, you're going to go in and out and find pasture. You're going you're gonna to eat. You're going to experience life if you come through me. These are the same people that were going to church every week, having service. And he says, but if you come to me, you're going to experience life. He says this, the thief does not come except to what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And look, Jesus is going to reveal it. The purpose of him coming, the, the, the end goal, the reason of why he's even here, he says, I have come that they may have what? Life. Not that they will have church. Not that they will have routine. Not that they will have systems. Not that they'll have more stuff. I, I, not that I will just satisfy their human desire. No, I have come that they might have life. So being a Christian is about experiencing life. Let's ask the questions to ourselves. What do we feel? What do you really feel? Do we have life? What does our church really feel? Do we have routine? Do we have system? Or do we have life? Routine and system don't mean anything. If there's no life in us, it's the life in us that gives meaning to the routine and the system. I think we need a routine. You need to know that we start at 10 o'clock every Sunday. Can you imagine? We said routine stinks and this Sunday is 10 o'clock and then next week it comes. No one's here. We're like, ah, we changed it. <laughs> spirit of the Lord just said three or that's how we felt. I'm not saying the spirit of the Lord can't do that. But can you imagine if there is no routine and there is no structure? Can you imagine we gave everyone a microphone and said, just preach at once? <laughs> and so, yeah, there's a purpose of routine and there's a purpose of structure. What is the purpose of it? Order. It's, it's, it's for order so that we all can be blessed. It's not to stop anything. It's to allow for, for, for everyone to be blessed because it's hard to do that in chaos. But having order and not having life is meaningless. It's superficial. In the end, it's pointless. In the end, it's like, why then did we waste our time? And we don't want to do that. I don't want to do that for my life. I don't want to do that to you. Can you imagine just all of us putting on masks? And then just sitting here. But he says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. This is the goal of you saying that you're a Christian. This is the goal of you being a believer that you have life. Not that you put on a mask and pretend to have. Jesus wants you to have life. And, and, and look at this. In John chapter 17, verse 3, uh, Jesus is, is, goes into deep prayer. His hour is coming for him to go through with the, the final act of redemption, which would be the cross. And in prayer, he's praying for himself. He prays for the church. Beautiful chapter, John 17. Look what he says. And this is eternal life. Again, we're going back to life here. This is eternal life. When, you, when I say eternal life, what do you think of? Most of us think of, oh, eternal life all the way over there. Eternal life is about the point when I die and then what happens forever. Yes, in a way that's true, 
So many of us, when does eternal life start? That's a good question. When does eternal life start? It starts when I die and then God is going to judge me and then he's going to tell me if I have eternal life or if I have eternal death, right? That's our understanding. Look what Jesus says right here. He goes, and this is eternal life. He's going to tell you what eternal life is. Are you ready? Look how Jesus understands eternal life. And this is eternal life that they may know you. Jesus is praying to the Father. Eternal life, God, Jesus praying, is that they know you, the only true God, and whom Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He goes, this is eternal life, that they know you, and they know me, who you've sent. So eternal life is not an afterthought, which it does transition to that, but eternal life is what you're going to experience now. And knowing God now and knowing me who, who God sent, I'm the reconciliation. And so life happens now. Many of us are just thinking, I'm just going to hold on till I die. Hopefully I did enough good and God says, come on in. Jesus wants us to have life now, not just later. He didn't die to save us over there. He died to save you now, life now. In, verse, in chapter 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus said. Jesus was all about bringing life and his interactions. I mean, he healed people on the Sabbath day and brought them life. And, and, and that was condemned because it was, not in, it was not part of the routine. It was not part of the structure. But the goal is not for Jesus to satisfy a structure. It's for him to give us life and to give us life now. So what is God's desire for us? It's life. Why? Because if we don't have life, then we have death. That's how it works. If you don't feel alive in God, chances are you feel dead. And if you don't feel like you're living, then you feel like you're dying. Right? You're either breathing in the beauty of who God is or you feel like you're drowning. It's one or the other. This is how it works. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Paul said this, the wages or the cost or the price of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? There's the word again, eternal life. In who? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so the only way to truly experience life is to do that through Jesus. I mean, we could play the game of life and try to find life in other things and, you know, becoming something and becoming well-known, acquiring stuff. There, there might be a taste of it, but true life only comes through Jesus Christ. Eventually, a new car becomes an old car, right? A new dog becomes an old dog, right? A new house becomes an old house. And so that joy, that feeling of life, oh, I got a car and I got a dog all at the same time and I got married, all of that feels new for only a moment. And even new money that comes to you, you don't lie to nobody, you're going to spend it. And so everything new becomes old. And then what happens to us in life? We start just chasing after stuff. Why? Just to feel the adrenaline of life. Just to feel the satisfaction of life. And so we get money, spend money, and then we got to get money again. We buy a new car, it turns into an old car. Then we got to get a new one. And so our lives become this cycle of chasing life, not realizing that Jesus says, I have eternal life and you can have it now. God, my prayer is that they taste eternal life now. That they get a hold of it now. This is what Christ came for, to give you life now. And if we don't have life, then we have death. What? Death? How did death come? Where did it come from? Where did it come from? 
Where did death come from? We have a beautiful book of the Bible called Genesis. It's my favorite book of the Bible. I could get lost in there forever. Beautiful. But in Genesis chapter 1, the first pages of the Bible, we learn about God's beautiful creation. And after God creates everything, every thing, at the end of each day, he says, it's good. It's good. It's good. And after he creates man, he says, very good. Because now he finally has someone to manage all the good that he created. And so God speaks and the spirit of God hovers over the waters and then everything comes up out of the water. And, 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 and there's a picture of life being created because this is what God does. From the mist of darkness in the deep depths of the ocean, God speaks and then there's light and all of this is a culmination of life. He goes into the dust of the earth. He breathes into the nostrils the breath of life and man becomes a living soul, a living being. And so humanity is created. Why? Because the purpose of God from the beginning is revealed is to have life and it's to give man life. He creates a world that's full of life. He creates a man and puts life in it and then he gives the world to the man and says, here, life, life, life. And the goal of Adam and Eve is to take dominion over the earth and to subdue it and to conquer it. And so, in other words, Adam now has the responsibility to push life out and to spread life and to bring life and meaning to the rest of the world. This is, this is, this is how the story starts. It starts with God being a giver of life. It's always the intention that you live in life. And so then there's an enemy. There is a thief who comes to kill and destroy. And this enemy pops up in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, and it's in the form of a serpent or a snake. Now, what ends up happening in Genesis chapter 2, it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow. Look, don't you just see life here that is pleasant to the sight and good for food? The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. This is like the pinnacle. It's like, here it is, Eden, a beautiful garden. But there's a mountain, and there's this beautiful tree, and that tree is the tree of life. And from that tree flows rivers, and that river gives life to the rest of the garden. And it's God, Adam and Eve's responsibility to take this life and distribute it to the rest of the world. Beautiful. Life, 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 life. But here's the thing. Man has to choose life. He has to choose life. And so what's also in the garden, let's keep on reading. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And look at this. There's another tree that's there, people. This is the beautiful thing about God. God gives life, but he gives you the choice to choose life or to reject it. There's a lot of choice that happens in the Bible. And I know that might not sit well with my Calvinist friends. But I believe in choice. It's all over the Bible, choice, where God even gives good things, but he allows man to choose good or not. He doesn't force him to. So here's the thing about life. You have to choose life. And so how can you choose life in the middle of feeling death? Jesus is the reconciliation for life. And so they get in that garden, and there's two trees there, and there's a tree of life, and there's a tree of good and evil, or the tree of good and bad, literal translation, tree of good and bad. Then the Lord God, this is verse 15, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? To tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, good and bad, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it, you're surely going to what? Die. And so what happens? Here is life for you, humanity, but you need to choose life. You need to choose what I called good. But there's going to be an opportunity for you to choose what you think is good. 
And so do you trust the wisdom of God and only take what he calls good? Or do you trust your own wisdom? Do you trust your own judgment? Do you trust your own intuition? And you take that power for yourself and say, it does not matter that everything God has made is good. It does not matter that God has called me good. And it does not matter that he has given me an instruction that's good. I'm still going to take matters into my own hands. And I'm going to choose what I think is good. And in the end, God tells him, if you do this, it's not going to be good. If you do this, you're going to die. This is what's going to happen when you don't trust my wisdom and what is good. And so this is where the serpent comes in Genesis chapter 3. And you know what he says? He appears to them and says, did God really say you can't eat of every fruit tree in the garden here? The woman responds, yeah, God said we can't. We can, but we can't, we can't touch that one over there. He says, nah, lies. He knows the day that you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to know good and evil, and you're going to be just like him. The sad tragedy was that they were already like him. He made them in his image and in his like likeness. They had life already. The responsibility of man was to just continue to choose life. But the minute that you take matters into your own hands, you are going to die and so the purpose of this is to show man that there's this story that starts in the Bible. There's an overarching story that's good when you look at the Bible, you read with this understanding. That God knows what is good in his wisdom for us. And we think we know what is good for us. And when we choose from our own will and desire, in the end, those choices will have consequences. And we'll live out hell here on earth in many ways. Because why? We went against God's wisdom of what is good for us. And so he says, the day that you eat of this, you're going to die. And verse 6 says this, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her. The eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And look what happens. When I first was reading this as a kid, I read that God says, the day you eat this, you're going to die. So yeah, my natural reaction is when I read, I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't listen to that stupid snake. Don't do it. Don't do it. No, she's not going to do it. No, she's not going to do it. She eats, and then she gives to her husband. I'm like, are, you, are we serious right now? I remember as a kid reading this thinking, okay, any minute now, the verse says, and Eve turned around, turned blue, and she was done. And Adam fell on top of her because he died too. But that doesn't happen to them physically. But Jesus said they were going to die. God said they were going to die. And then they don't die. So what happened here? Well, as we read, we realize that a physical death doesn't take place. But a spiritual spiral, a spiritual death happens. And in many ways, this is more torturous in the long run. Because if they would have died, end of the story. But they don't die, they live forever, and then you just see more chaos after chaos, and you see hell on earth as a result of man taking power for himself and choosing his own wisdom. That you see man choosing against God's wisdom. You see man taking power away from God's power. You see man deciding what's good for him rather than allowing himself to trust God and trust what God says is good for him. And this is the story of our Bible. This is an overarching theme. 
And so the overarching theme is God coming in and how do I restore this man who keeps choosing? And so part of the reason why they don't die after they eat the fruit is because of God's compassion. But there is a separation. And so what do they do? It says they do this, and as soon as they eat the fruit, they realize that they're naked. It's like all of a sudden now they got shame, and now they got guilt. All of a sudden their eyes start to open, and they realize that they're in a different state now. And now they're seeing each other in a new light. They're like, oh, my God, you're naked. Oh, my God, I'm naked. What are we going to do? And so what they end up doing is they just they grab fig leaves. They grab it, they, you know, they start chopping this tree down, and then they cover themselves. Why? Because now they feel a nakedness. This is very symbolic. This is very meaningful. Man tries to cover his shame. It's what we naturally do. And so they take all these leaves, and they cover themselves up. Like, okay, this should work. This should work. Then it goes on to say in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So first they get leaves, and they hide themselves from each other. Then God comes, and then they jump behind the bushes. And life is gone. This is not life. Man was meant to stand in the garden at the top of the mountain next to the tree of life and say, we are conquerors and ambassadors for God. But that's not how the story goes. It, 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 chapter 3 is ending with them hiding themselves from one another and hiding behind trees. And so even though they didn't physically die, look at the death that is happening to them. And the only reason why there's still breath in their lungs is because God is like, oh, my God, these are my children. And so God, right away, you start to see God go to work. How do I, how do I repair this? How do I restore this? Remember what happens with re reconciliation? How is man all the way down here and God's all the way this scene in the garden, Adam and Eve are here underneath a tree, and God is way up here. And rather than taking a final stab at them, God starts to do this. And so they did what? They tried to cover themselves, but we know we can't really cover ourselves. And a beautiful principle starts to be revealed in the garden, and that is this, that God is going to try to cover them. They can't cover themselves for too long. They just rip leaves off of a tree. And, and, they're, and they're wearing these, 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 they made themselves clothes out of leaves. But they pulled the tree, the, the, the leaf from off the tree. Eventually, what's going to happen to that leaf? The, the leaf got disconnected from its life source. And now they're trying to cover themselves with something that doesn't have life. How many of us live this same way? We cover ourselves with things that don't have life. And, and, and the green only lasts for so long. Eventually that green starts to turn brown. And eventually that brown becomes very fragile, very brittle. And eventually they're going to be exposed and naked again, uncovered. And so what does God do? Because they do need a covering. But, but in their own wisdom now, they can't cover themselves properly. This is what we need to understand. In our own wisdom, we can't really cover ourselves. We can't, we can't clean ourselves up. We can't really pick up the pieces. We can try to man up, and we can try to sister up, and we can try to, you know. But that only lasts for a while. The green vanishes away, and next thing you know, we're there broken, naked, disconnected. And so look at what happens, verse 21, also for Adam and his wife. Look at this. God made, first day made, coverings for themselves. But this is going to be a picture. This is, this, is, this is meant for us to see this throughout the rest of the Bible. 
when God comes to his children and he sees where they're at and he sees how far they have fallen, man always tries to fix himself up, but that's not going to last. And so God has to do something to cover them. And what does he do? Also for Adam and his wife, look at this. The Lord God made tunics. Maybe some of your Bibles might say garments or coats of skin. Where did Adam get the leaves from? From a tree. Where did God get the skins from? From an animal sacrifice. And this becomes a huge. The authors who wrote this want you to see this. What is, when man goes to cover himself, he grabs fig leaves. When God goes to cover humanity, he makes a sacrifice. Look at the principle that we're seeing. Because God's going to go on a full-on effort to reconcile man. But that doesn't happen. I told you this. That doesn't happen by God going like this. It doesn't happen by God going, ah, don't worry about it. No, they, 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 this is a process. And we're introduced to the principle very, very early. And so he gets tunics of skin and he cloths them and he covers them. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So right away God says, this guy's like us. He, ta- he, he, he takes matters into his own hands. He thinks he can judge good and evil now like us. And he can't. We already saw how this went. He goes, now man, in his ignorance, who he's fallen and he's broken and he doesn't have life, I spared the breath in his lungs. He goes, do you know what the next thing this guy's going to do and this lady's going to do? In this broken, fallen, sinful state, he's probably going to go now, reach out, and eat from the tree of life. But he doesn't realize that if he does that and takes matters into his own hands, this fool is going to eat from the tree of life, which is going to lock him forever in a fallen state. The tree of life that was available to him when he was living in life, he didn't eat from. But now that he's fallen, broken, messed up, now he's going to go and touch that so he can live forever. And that's going to destroy my purpose. So what does God do? What does he do? Because he knows man in his own wisdom is going to choose wrong again. He has to be a little bit more aggressive. And so it says this, verse 23, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden. He said, get out of here, brother. (laughs) Because I can't have you mess this up anymore it says he sent him out of the garden of eden to till the ground from which he was taken look at this verse 24 so he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the of the garden of eden a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life and so what god does he covers man he blocks man he 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 takes him out of the garden and he puts cherubim angels to keep him from tasting and eating from the tree of life that will lock him forever in the place of sin. Now, here's a beautiful thing. Those all happens in the first three pages of the Bible. If you read the last pages of the Bible, that tree of life is available again. But it's available for us to eat from after we have been covered by Jesus and been made new. And then it makes sense for us to live forever in that state, not this state. You don't want to live forever in brokenness. And so being a Christian is about a new humanity. And in the text that we read, we realize that God gives this new life, but man has to choose life. This is true for our Christianity. God has given us life in Jesus, but we have to choose life in Jesus every moment, every second, and every day. 
And so the things that we read here today become principles that we're going to see and we're going to talk about more as we progress. But today I want you guys to see what does it mean to be a Christian? And on a fundamental level, what I want you guys to leave with here today is that the purpose of God that we see in the garden and the purpose of Jesus when he comes to intervene is so that you can have life. More than church, we need life. More than religion, we need life. More than a good structure and all this order that we also kind of create just so we can feel like we got things together. Most of us don't have order either because we have life. We got order so we just don't feel like everything's crumbling apart. And if I could wake up at this time, if I could get myself to eat at this time, if I could do this, it kind of makes us feel this sense of security. But a lot of times that's false. A lot of times the things that, the systems that we have are just fig leaves so that we don't feel like we completely have gone off the edge. And if I go to church, I'll feel better about what's really going on. You know, if, I, if, if I come here and sing, you know, I'll put on a song so I can feel better for the moment. But Jesus also didn't die for us to just sing a song. He didn't die for us to have an escape through religion. He died for that we could have real life. And as we progress, we're going to define what that is. But I want to tell you right now, there's nothing that we can do in our power to gain that life. We have to trust Jesus for that life. So this is like Christian 101, and maybe you heard this, you know, 10 years ago. The Corinthians heard it over two years ago. And he was trying to remind them, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And that new creation is to give you life, and God wants you to have life. So what does God want for us this year? What does God want for our church this year? What does God want for you this year? There's a lot of things that we want. I want to get a new car this year. I'm being honest right now. It's in the back of my head. But I got to be careful that that desire is not a fig tree moment. Where if I get a car and the AC's working, then everything else works in my life. Yes, it's good to have an AC here in Florida. But that's not what's really going to give life to my spirit. Yeah, some of us want a, a, a new home because we've outgrown the home that we're in. Maybe your family got bigger. Yes, pursue to get a home, but just realize a new home becomes an old home. And if you have a really good time in that home, you might get another kid. I might need a new home. And so we're always going to find ourselves chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing and think that if we acquire more, acquire more here, that it means more life. It doesn't always mean more life. It means more responsibility. I guess it'll create great moments. And yeah, you can load up your Instagram with it. But many of us know that a lot of those smiles on Instagram are not coming from a place of life. They're actually coming from a place of death. And that's our desperation. That's our fig leaf. So we can feel and let the world know that we got it together. And God says, Adam, where are you? And you can't cover, you, you can cover up with a photo. You can change your cover on your phone. You can dye your hair, get a new shirt, do all those things, but they don't mean anything. What matters to God is that, yes, he wants that your smile is a real smile. He wants the peace that we talk about on church, in church is a real peace that we're feeling. He wants the peace that we say in faith to be a peace that we experience in reality. 
He wants this to be real. He wants us to have life. That's what it means to be a Christian. He wants you to have life. And that life for us, we see, happens because of his death. Go to the last one. I'm going to read the, the, the last verse again of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 that we read. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the life that we're going to live is going to come through his death for us. And we're going to continue with that next week. But right now in this moment, I want to have a real moment with you. I don't want to have a churchy moment. I don't want to speak Christianese right now. I want to have a real moment with you, and I want to have a real moment for myself. And we got to ask the question, what do I feel right now? Is it life or is it death? And God's not happy in heaven knowing that you're in church but feel death. And death can come through many forms of what takes place in life. Many different things can happen to us. Many of us are living in the own hells that we created. We're dying because we set ourselves on fire by our actions and our decisions. But Jesus came so that you could have life. And this is crazy, and I don't want to be insensitive to real situations that happen to you or around you, but Jesus offers life. If you've been feeling death for so long, I'm going to ask you, what choices have you been making? What choices have we been making? Yeah, going to church is a good choice, but... Jesus really wants you to feel life. And it's so important to him that you have it. In the end, you know what it's about? Genesis 2 and that beautiful world that got destroyed. He's making it all over again. The Bible says there's a new heaven and there's a new earth and he's going to put us right back. I know a lot of us think that, the, that everlasting life is us sitting at Jesus' feet. And at this throne and just worshiping and 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 worshiping. And then after that, you worship with a little bit more, worship a little bit more. You're already tired of it. Don't lie. And God is not an egotistical God that what makes him happen is that people are drooling at his feet all day long. Yes, he loves his creation and he wants his creation to worship him, but that real worship comes out of the life that you live for him. And he's going to recreate the whole world again. He's going to destroy death. He's going to destroy that devil. All of that's going to go put into the lake of fire. All the pain tears are going to go away. And then he's going to recreate the whole world. He's actually, no one's going to heaven. Did you know that? You ain't going to heaven. None of you are going to heaven. You know why none of you are going to heaven? Because God loves you so much, and reconciliation is never about us going anywhere on our own. Reconciliation happens because Christ has come where we're at. You're not going to heaven. Heaven is coming to you. Heaven is coming to you. This is why he, when he taught us to pray, 
He said, just get it in your system. When you pray, you pray that heaven comes down to earth. How, did, how were we saved? Because we went into God one day and realized, you know what? We've sucked all these years. It doesn't happen. You did not, and I, oh, I get it now. That didn't happen. And don't think you would have did a better job than Adam and Eve. Because the second time around, you would have been the Savior. And guess what? He didn't pick me or you. He had to come down. So that's why we pray. Your will in heaven be done on earth. And when you read the last pages of the Bible, you see heaven coming down. A new Jerusalem. It's about God, Jesus returning, and heaven coming down to earth. And the original plan happening. And God saves the day again. Yep, he really does. You don't save it. And he wants you to have life, and that life starts now. Everlasting life starts now. Not later. And I'm telling you that so that you don't allow the enemy to rob you today. I have come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. Not later as an afterthought, but now. God wants you to breathe now. He wants you to live now. He wants you to rejoice now. He wants you to have peace now. He wants you to have strength now. He wants you to believe now. He wants to fill your life now. He wants you to have purpose now. And let that transition to a beautiful heaven. So for us to be a Christian is for us to have a new humanity and for us to experience life now. So here it is. This is not Christianese. I want to invite you to receive this life. This is not Christianese. I want you to ask God to come into your heart. This is not Christianese. The Bible says that if you confess your sins, he's just and faithful to forgive them. That's not Christianese right now. You can be saved, and I want you to know it's not by your works. But it's by the grace of God, it's a free gift. That's not Christianese, it is truth and it is life to you. Jesus said, I am the door and those who enter in will go in and out and have pasture. So if you feel deaf for whatever life has done to you, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to the front and that's not churchianity right now. I want to invite you right now. I'm not going to force you. Because life is always a choice that God gives you. So here's a beautiful invitation. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to turn around. And we can pray together. And if you feel like coming, you can come. You could join us. I'm going to begin praying. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God. I thank you for... The word of reconciliation, your word just told us you have given us the word. And we thank you, Lord God, because through you, Christ Jesus, we have this reconciliation. You have made our account look like yours, Lord. You took on our sin so that we might have your righteousness, Lord God. And you reconciled our accounts with yours, Lord. I thank you for this beautiful gift, Lord. And I thank you, Lord God, that you give us life and you promise us life and you give us eternal life and everlasting life. But I thank you, Lord God, because you give that to us in knowing you and knowing your son now, Lord. So I pray right now, Lord God, against this false fig leaf of churchianity, Lord God. I, I come, Father, I, I pray, Lord God, that we'll come out of that and come into the Father's arms come into your presence, Lord God. 
Jesus, you died not to give us a system of church, but you died, Lord God, so that we can have a life and faith in you, Lord. So as we come here, Lord God, this is not about anyone. It's about us right now. We come before you, Lord God, and we give you our hearts right now. We give you our minds. We bring you our brokenness, Lord God. We bring our death to you. We come in our nakedness and in our shame, Lord. And we come to you, Lord God, knowing that you are a good father, Lord, because your word tells us so. And so we come naked and we come exposing ourselves before you. And we ask you for life, Lord. We ask you for life. We tell you we want life. We don't want this death anymore. So I pray today that as we come and as we confess and we offer up words and prayers, Lord God, and sentiments before you, that you right now will just begin to give life to your people, Lord God. It's not my words, Lord God. It's not what I say, but it's your spirit that gives life, Lord. As you breathed into Adam, Lord God, into his lungs, the breath of life, I pray right now that your spirit, Lord God, will breathe into their lives, the men, the women in this room. Only you know the broken places, the hurting places, the devastation, Lord God, the emptiness, the darkness, the voidness, Lord God. Only you know, but I ask that you fill it with life, Lord God. Father, I thank you, Lord God, because it's through your son, Jesus, that we have this. So right now, we ask for Jesus. We confess Jesus. We acknowledge Jesus. We acknowledge that his death was for us. How beautiful, Lord God. How beautiful are you, Lord. I thank you for not giving up on your humanity, Lord. The Bible is a story of a God who never quits. It's a story of a God who has suffered pain after pain, but never quit, Lord. So this is why we know that there's nothing that can separate us from this love. Height or depth, Lord God, doesn't matter, Lord. Because you're in an endless pursuit. And today I pray that they will feel that pursuit today for us to know you and for you to fill us. So I pray right now that you would just put your life in their lungs, Lord. Only you know where there's death. Only you know where they've died. Only you know where they feel like they're dying. And so let your Holy Spirit do what only your Holy Spirit can do. It's not the hand of man and it's not the word of man, but it's the word of your spirit, Lord God. So right now, I pray for restoration. I pray for healing. I pray that peace will come in. I pray that calm right now. Even if we still don't know what decisions to make, what paths to choose, Lord, I pray that today, Lord, that we would, in our decisions and in our, our movements, Lord, that we would seek you, Lord. Father, we realize and the pattern remains the same for us as it is for, your, for, for the story of the Bible that whenever man uh, sees and, 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 and decides his own wisdom of what is good and bad, Lord God, we always choose wrong, Lord. We always choose wrong. We always reason and it turns out wrong. So I pray, Lord God, as we live real life day to day and as we're confronted with decisions, as we're confronted with difficult situations, as we're confronted with temptations, that we will not trust what we think is good and what is right. Help us not to eat from that tree, but help us to eat from the tree of life that you've given to us and that we possess in your son, Jesus. And be the strength for us, Lord, in the difficult times, Lord. So I thank you, Lord God for the gift of your son, Jesus. I thank you because this is what's going to give life to our church, Lord God. This is what's going to bring, bring air and relief, Lord God, and refreshing. 
It's, it's the life that is in you, not the routine that is found in church, Lord God. So I speak life over our church today. I declare life over our church. I declare life over our men. I declare life over our women. I declare life over the children. I declare life over the youth. I declare life over the families, over the marriages and the relationships and the friendships and the sonships and the parents, Lord God. Life for us, Lord. Help us to choose that life. Help us to embrace what it means to be a Christian. That is a new humanity in Jesus. And Father, we thank you because that life comes by your death. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. How many people are going to trust God for life right now? This message is not over. It's over today, but it's not. We're going to pick up next week. 101, man. Christianity 101. We're going to really see how this plays out. Is it possible that we, we feel deaf because we learn churchianity? You've been, is it possible we've been running on churchianity? And this is why when life hits us, it's like, oh, it just got real. It kind of makes you feel, well, what was all of that for? Is it because we learned churchianity and we did not learn Christianity? What we believe here and what we say here is supposed to transpire to our real lives. And if it's not, there's something wrong with what we're doing. If we're reading the Bible and it doesn't transpire, there's something wrong. Because these are the words of life. If we're here and, we have, and we're in relationship with our brothers and sisters, but we go out there and we're lonely, something's wrong. Something's not transpiring. And whenever that happens, that it feels like something here and doesn't feel like real in your real life, that's churchianity. But I'm declaring that this is a year of Christianity for us. That we feel our relationship with God and we feel our relationship with one another. We've done church good many times done Christianity bad and so for our church to do Christianity it requires for all of us to be Christian so my resolution for this year it's not just to lose 10 pounds it's not just to get a car with AC it's to be a Christian a new humanity in Christ Jesus. I'm going to challenge us as a church to do that. And I'm going to challenge you to walk through these scriptures with us. There's a beautiful story here. The Bible is not just a rule book. And many of us live and use it as a rule book. And then we wonder why it doesn't work in reality. It's like, I can't do that. It's more than a rule book. It's a book that leads us to life. And our desires that we unpack that this year. So I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to have biblical study. Not just read the Bible. Not just read it, but study. And our pastors and our teachers this year are going to do our best to guide you into life. Not just into a good service, but into life. It means nothing if we have a good service and go home to hell doesn't mean anything. 
It only means something here if it's stemming from real life. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you so much. I'm excited for this year. I'm not promising that it's going to get any easier. It's not. Not for us as a church body. A lot's going to take place over the next few weeks here. And when you feel like death, I'm going to ask you to choose life. Because life is a choice. God respects your dignity as a human being. God respects your dignity as a human being. To choose his wisdom or not. And when you don't choose it, I want to tell you, God still gives you the opportunity to choose him. So if today maybe you felt like your heart was hardened, I'm going to ask you not to give up. And maybe not even in church, but maybe later on sometime this week. If that moment is, goes beyond here I'm gonna, and you feel it, choose life. The opportunities don't stop because we close the church doors. Come on, that's churchianity, people. <laughs> the worship doesn't stop when we stop singing here. That's churchianity if we believe that. I want to be a Christian this year, and I hope our church uh, just keeps that life going. I love you guys. God bless you. I'm going to shut up. I'll be back next week. <laughs>